All right, perfect timing. How is everybody? So good to see you today. Welcome this morning to New Life Church, and um, we are so glad you're with us. So glad you took some time on your Sunday to worship with us uh, this morning. Uh, let me invite you to open up to Colossians, uh, New Testament, to the letter of Colossians, one of the epistles that the Apostle Paul wrote while he was in a prison cell in Rome. And um, the Lord had him write this uh, with, uh, to give some help to his uh, friend, Epaphras, who helped found the church in Colossae. He traveled all the way uh, from Colossae to Rome, uh, Epaphras did, to seek out Paul. And they let him see him, and Paul wrote out some thoughts. And these are the thoughts that we've been going through. We went through this whole book back in July, and the Lord just kind of had me come back and hit a, other, a few other highlights and, and put it under the, the title of a series that we've been doing called Bloom Where You Are Planted. Bloom Where You Are Planted. And so we're going to dive into chapter 2, uh, is our thematic part, uh, verse 6 and 7, is kind of the foundational part of this series. And then we're going to hang out a little bit in Colossians 3. Uh, on a few verses there. So let's look at our main verse, a few verses here, starting in, in Colossians 2, verse 6. <clears throat> he says, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow Him. Let your roots grow down into Him, and let your lives be built on Him, and then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. You catch that? Your real life, your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse 4, and when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Jump down to verse 11. Verse 11 is actually our founding verse for our church. It says, and in this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile. Circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. It doesn't matter about any of that. What matters is that Christ lives in all of us. That is the most important thing. Amen? Let's pray today over this. Oh God, we are so thankful. Lord, we all have a lot of thoughts happening in our world and in our minds and in our lives. But right now, we want to know what your thought is about us. You have some things you want to say to us today, and we want to hear it. And Lord, where we're not willing or, or ready to hear it, help us right now to just make a decision. We want to be open to what you have for us. Because ultimately, what you have for us is your good for our life. And we are thankful for that. And I just ask that you would help me to preach this word in a way that would honor you and that would help your people. In Jesus' name, collectively, you can say amen. Amen. Listen, we've kind of established in this whole series over the last couple of weeks 
uh, bloom where you're planted is it's about having this understanding the goal in, the, in our faith world, faith life, in our real life, if you will, is that we are called to grow in Christ no matter what our conditions of life are, no matter the circumstances. It, and we understand theologically that God works through things, and as we, he's, in fact, in Romans 8, it tells us that He causes all things to work together for His good, for those who love Him and those who are actively engaged in following His purpose for their life. That's how He works through circumstances. But oftentimes we can get trapped into saying and using excuses as to our circumstances is, what are, is what's making me be this way. I'm stressed, I'm tired, I'm overworked. I have this going on, I have this happening, and we can oftentimes get caught up in the saying these things are making me feel and act and go this route with my choices. And really, God says, no, we're called to be filled with His Spirit and to go the route, whatever His Word says. As Pastor Prentice encouraged us earlier and declared that prayer over our life, that regardless of circumstances, whatever route we go, we need to make sure that that route is established in God's will. And if you know that you know that you know that you know that you know you're heading in that direction in God's will, He'll give you peace, and He'll cause, certain th he'll cause your life to fall into line with what his, his purpose ultimately is for your life. And so that's kind of what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, just a short... Uh, summation, if you will, over the last two weeks. And um, here in Colossians, Paul admonishes us that, hey, don't stop at accepting Christ and just praying that prayer of salvation. Go further. Understand that we are called to carry on. We're called to follow the footsteps of the Lord. That's what a disciple is. A disciple is a follower of Jesus, a lifelong learner of Jesus and his ways and, and his will for our life. So put your roots down deep into him so that your lives can actually be built on him and your faith can grow strong in him. That's what he gets on. That's what he gets at. And then in chapter 3, we're going to look at it here in a second, it challenges us to understand this thought that we are called to wear righteousness in our life. We are called to wear it. And we are expected to cultivate it, to work the ground of our hearts so that righteousness can prevail in our life. I don't know, I don't know about you, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of ask this question this way. What is your, you don't have to answer it out loud if, unless you just want to, but, unless it's weird, but what is your go-to clothing item in your closet? Tennis shoes. Like, when all else fails, man, you know I can always count on that piece of cloth or shoe or pants or dress or shirt or whatever to be. that. I'm going to look all right in that, right? I'm going to look okay no matter what. I can go to that. For me, it's these jeans I'm wearing. I like these jeans. I wear these jeans way too much. I should wash them a little more often than I do, truth be told. They're, they're freshly washed. I think I wore them once this week and then today. So it's not too bad. In fact, I wear them so much, I have a little worn-out part where I keep my chapstick in my right pocket, so I had to start wearing it in my left pocket. <laughs> but I, that's, these are my go-to go jeans. And right now, these are my go-to shoes, Vans. I got these for Father's Day. 
I tend to, when I get something new, Becky, I, t- I tend to just wear it until I, just, I don't care. I'm just going to wear it out. You know what I'm saying? I use the excuse, I'm just going to break it in. You know, I've been breaking them in for six months now, you know. But we all have a go-to thing we, we gravitate to. And, 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 and in Christ, we, we are called to gravitate to our go-to thing, and that is the wardrobe of righteousness. And that's what I've titled, today, I've titled today's message in this series. I've titled it, Cultivating a Wardrobe of Righteousness. There's this thing, this righteousness is really synonymous with our Christian faith, or at least it should be. It shouldn't be something as Christians that we're ashamed of. No, because the reality of the way God designed life is that righteousness is attractive. Righteousness is really what people are wanting. It's just we don't find it in this world. We only find righteousness in Jesus Christ. So you have this one side of righteousness as being righteous and understanding that we are in right standing with God by faith. And then there's the other side of it of living righteously in that we live as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus by our choice. That that is our choice. Look at uh, the screen here. It's Galatians 6. It's the Passion Translation. Paul writes, Make no mistake about it. God will never be mocked for what you plant will always be the very thing you harvest. The harvest you reap reveals the seed that was planted. And if you plant the corrupt seeds of self-life into this natural realm, you can expect to experience a harvest of corruption. But if you plant the good seeds of spirit life, you will reap the beautiful fruits that grow from the everlasting fruit of the Spirit of God. It says, And don't allow yourselves to be weary or disheartened in planting good seeds. For the season of reaping the wonderful harvest you've planted is coming. Another translation there might say something like, don't grow weary in well-doing. And that well-doing is don't get weary of planting good seed in your life. Don't get weary of cultivating your life for the harvest of righteousness to bloom in you. In whatever season and in whatever situation. In Genesis 8, the Bible tells us that as long as the earth remains, there is seed, time, and harvest. There is seed, time, and harvest. There's planting, there's waiting, and there's reaping. In that order. And what we sow, we will reap, but before we reap, there is a process of time, development, cultivation. And the word there, I want to pick that out for a moment, cultivate means to work and to prepare the land for the crops to grow through your labor and by paying attention to it. It wouldn't have, it's not like you just, you plant it and then you just kind of, you leave it, you forget about it, as if you were planting a garden. Some of you have your own gardens. If you were working a garden, you planted a garden and you just kind of left it alone for a season and weeds grew up, you didn't check on things, you didn't water things, you didn't protect it from, from, from varmints coming in and eating, eating certain things, what would happen? Your garden would be a complete and total waste, right? It wouldn't have what you actually planted. And so it's in, from the time you sow to the time you 
harvest or reap it, there's this waiting period. And in that waiting period is where you labor, it's where you pay attention. It's called cultivating. Cultivating. And that's what Paul admonishes there us in Galatians 6. Don't get weary and disheartened when you have to spend time in your life cultivating your heart for the right things to come out. And that's, that's kind of the part that Paul goes on to talk about. Look at verse 12 in Colossians 3. He says, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with dot, dot, dot. Since God chose you to be holy. There's another word that is synonymous with our Christian faith. And that is something that we should not be ashamed of either, what makes us ashamed of it is religion. Makes us ashamed of things like holiness and righteousness because religion says it's all based on how you perform. And when we don't perform, religion beats us down and says you're no good. You're not as holy as you thought or you said you were. Holiness. The word holy, here's what I broke it down and what I think is a good definition for us is this. Living a dedicated and consecrated life before God, letting Christ live full and free in me. That's holy. It's, live, it's choosing to live a dedicated and a consecrated life set apart to God, letting Christ live full and free on the inside of my life. In other words, I let Christ have his way. I let Christ tell me what I should do. Now, are we perfect in that? Absolutely not. And if we're, if we're not careful, we'll allow condemnation to then be our driver in our car. Because condemnation loves to wreak havoc when we make mistakes, right? And when we fall short. But the Bible tells us in Romans 8, another letter Paul writes is, hey, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't exist, or at least it shouldn't. And so Paul says, hey, in Colossians 3, God has chosen you to live holy, chosen you to be holy, to live a life dedicated, consecrated to God, letting Christ live full and free in you. So then he says, you must clothe yourself. The words he uses are, are words of purpose, words with intention. You must clothe yourself with dot, dot, dot. What does he say? Clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy. Clothe yourself with kindness. Clothe yourself with humility, with gentleness and patience. And he goes on, he says, hey, make allowance in your life for each other's faults. Make some room. Forgive people who offend you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so, hey, you, should, you must forgive others. And then verse 14, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Clothing ourselves on purpose, just like we do when we get ready to leave our house, because it's against the law to go naked in this world, at least in this country. You have to put on some clothes, Right? In fact, some restaurants say no shirt, no service. Clothe yourselves intentionally, and he lays it out. In essence, 
with righteousness. Now, here's the thing about it, though. You can only wear what is in your closet. If it's not in your closet and you want it, what do you have to do? Please don't say steal it. I'll have to teach a whole other message next week. You go buy it. Or if you ask a friend, or your friend or somebody who's got something, then ask them if you can borrow it, right? But yeah, if you can only wear what's in your closet, and spiritually, if we don't have it in our closet, Paul's telling us, in essence, here's what you've got to do. You've got to work the ground. You've got to cultivate that. If tender-hearted mercy is not happening, then you've got to cultivate your life in order for it to come about. In other words, you've got to pay attention. As Christians, we must pay attention to what's growing in our life or what is not growing in our life. Because God calls us to be representatives of Jesus in this world. And that is certainly righteousness is an aspect of him. So how can we cultivate? What, what can we do to cultivate this wardrobe of righteousness? What, what can we do? And the Bible's full of tools and resources that tell us these things. And I'm just going to pull out 300 of them today. Is that okay? Uh, three, actually. I'm just going to pull out three. I don't even know 300 of them. Just going to talk about three. You guys got time for three? We're going to look at the plow of the prophetic. We're going to look at the seed of prayer. And we're going to look at the water of the word. Okay? Three tools of cultivation. The plow of the prophetic. Let me ask it this question. What has God spoken to you? Past tense. And what is God speaking to you? present tense. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that. Because whatever God has spoken to you and whatever God is speaking to you, the devil does not want any of it to come to pass for your life. You must know that there is an adversary and his name is Satan and he is the devil and he is against people of faith. He doesn't want to see anything God wants to accomplish in your life come to pass. He's dead set against it, okay? Dead set against it. But why should we know that? Why should we remember what he has said? Look at what Paul tells to his younger son in the faith, Pastor Timothy in 1 Timothy 1. You can look at it on the screen for time's sake. It says, Timothy, my son, I'm entrusting you with this responsibility in keeping with the very first prophecies that were spoken over your life. And they are now in the process of fulfillment in the great work of ministry, in keeping with the prophecies spoken over you. With this encouragement, use your prophecies as weapons as you wage spiritual warfare by faith and with a clean conscience. For there are many who reject these virtues and are now destitute of the true faith. I dare say we don't really want to fall in that latter category of those who reject the virtues of what God speaks and become destitute in our faith. But Paul admonishes and teaches and just reminds Timothy, Timothy, use the prophecies that have been spoken over your life to fight the battles that you're in. In other words, Timothy, I'm acknowledging what you're going through. I get maybe right now life is not that easy for you, uh, you're right where the Lord wants you, but in the, in the, in, at the same time, you're facing some difficulties, facing some challenges, facing some hard decisions. 
You need wisdom. You need discernment. You need patience. You need a lot of things. And Timothy, here's the thing. You need to remember that when we laid our hands on you a long time ago and prayed for you to be this pastor, you need to recall those words that were spoken over your life because they're going to help you now. They're going to reaffirm you now that you're not messed up, that you're not in the wrong place, that you're not in a place where you shouldn't be. You're right where the Lord wants you. He's called you to this thing. How many of you know that some of the things God calls us into are not always easy and if we're not careful we can allow the enemy to sow seeds of doubt and lie to us and bring deception to tell us you're not cut out for this you're not where you're supposed to be look you wouldn't be going through all this right but that's not always the case in the sense of we're not in the wrong place at the wrong time and Timothy was right where he was supposed to be, and Paul said, look, man, if you're going to get through this, and you're going to come out of this, you've got to remember some things. You've got to remember what God has said to you. In fact, I try to do that for my life. I try to go back and rehearse and reflect and reminisce some of the things that the Lord has spoken to me personally and as a pastor to this church. And, and in fact, I was doing that this week. I was praying about you and praying about today and 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 the lord just dropped this whole thing in my lap about about cultivating because i actually had planned a whole different message uh, a couple of weeks ago for today and and i'm and i'm thankful the holy spirit caught my attention and redirected my thoughts and began to just remind me said hey pull out some of those prophetic words you 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 that i've spoken and and it re and it encouraged me in fact, that's what Paul goes on to tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He, he uh, elaborates and he says there are these nine spiritual gifts. One of those spiritual gifts is the gift of prophesying, the ability to prophesy. And he goes on to expound on what that talks about in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. He tells us, hey, you need to earnestly desire all of these spiritual gifts in your life to flourish and to be active, but especially that you may prophesy. Because he said those who prophesy bring encouragement, strength, and comfort to other people. That's what prophecy does. It brings encouragement, strength, and comfort to your life. Did you know that you can actually prophesy over your own life? That's what Pastor Prentice was doing this morning. He was declaring, he was prophesying over our church. And as Lindsay took, caused, uh, called us into a moment of stillness, it was allowing us to hear what the Lord was saying. Because life gets busy, souls get cluttered, and the only way sometimes we can really just hear is to just still ourselves quiet and allow ourselves to hear what God is saying. That you can prophesy over your life. In fact, the prophet Ezekiel was caught up in a vision before the Lord and he, caught, and he was standing in this, over this valley, looking across this valley and this valley was full of what we said was dry bones. And the Lord asked him, hey, son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel was like, well, really only you know if they can live or not. And he said, they're going to live, but I'm asking you, I'm commissioning you to speak life over them. See, that's what happens when you prophesy the breath and the life of God and the word of God over your life into a situation. It's not wishful hoping or wishful thinking so long as it's based on God's word. 
You begin to just declare and decree and to speak the life of God's word over your life and over your situation. And you can cause yourself to then be encouraged and to be strengthened and to be comforted in your heart. You see, prophecy over our life allows us to plow the ground of our heart. Because here's the thing, our hearts can get hard sometimes. We can become cynical sometimes, and we can allow things to just kind of build these layers over our hearts so that we don't receive anything. It just kind of bounces off, nothing penetrates, and we just kind of get stone cold. It can happen to the best of us. But when we speak the word of God back over our life, what's it do? It begins to break that fallow ground because it's like a plow. That's what prophecy does. So if we want to cultivate righteousness in our life, friends, we have to plow our hearts. we got to keep that ground open. We can't just coast through life and expect that we're just going to be okay. No, we have to take ownership and responsibility for the field of our life that the Lord has called us to steward and then redirect ourselves under the Lord and plow that ground so that righteousness can prevail and righteousness can bloom even in a dry desert land the lord says i will cause rivers of water to flourish what's he saying he's saying look no matter how it looks sometimes if you'll just give yourself to me and remember what i said i will cause life to flow in your world again and in your barren land again prophecy does that so take what god has spoken or what god is speaking to help you plow ahead in faith number two the seed of prayer do you know prayer is not just an old testament or a new testament thing it's not just about a book about a bunch of people that that lived way back when in this book and tell these stories no prayer I love this. Prayer is this. It's humanity seeking divinity and divinity interacting with humanity. That is the awesomeness and the beauty of our God. He is not just some distant deity up in the sky, distant and removed from our cares and our worries and our life. No, he is near and he is, he is close. He is real. Prayer is... It's humanity seeking out divinity and divinity getting engaged in and interacting with humanity. In fact, Jesus taught on prayer in several subject matters. And one particular is in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. Check a, take a look at this on the screen. Matthew 7 verse 7 says, Jesus says, Keep on asking, you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking... And you will find, keep on knocking, and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Prayer is asking the Lord to get involved and engaged into our life. Prayer is asking God. When we go to God and we're praying to Him, we're asking Him, Oh God, see me, hear me right where I'm at. Get involved in this thing with me. I don't want to go through this by myself because I don't have all the answers. In me, I don't have all hope. In me, I don't have all wisdom. God, get engaged in this thing with me. That's what prayer is. Prayer is asking the Lord 
to be a part of our life. It's exchanging our natural worry and our natural woes for his supernatural peace. If when you pray and you do not exchange what weighs you down for what he has to bring, then friend, I encourage you, linger a little longer. God wants to bring an exchange into our lives. And when we ask, He answers. I read this about a pastor who's been pastoring a whole long time, and one of the things he tells his people when it comes to prayer, if they ask him about something and they want to talk to him about an issue or a problem or what have you, he says, hey, have you prayed about this? And he says, have you prayed about this? And then he says, spend seven days praying about whatever it is before we talk about it. Because you need to give it to God first. I am not your God. I'm a good friend, he would might say. I'm a good listener, but I am not your Savior. I'm here for you to help you, and my way of helping you is to point you to the one who can ultimately get involved in your life and make things right again. Prayer is seeking the Lord. Those who seek, find. Prayer is seeking the Lord for His will and His guidance. I would probably, if I asked this question and, and asked for the answer, do we know all things for our life? The answer would be probably no. I would hope we would understand that we don't. But there is one who does. And we are called to seek him. And those who seek him will find him. And when we find him, he will be engaged into our life, giving guidance and ordering our steps. Did you know that the Lord can order your footsteps? You can ask God, God, I don't know where to go. I don't know how to proceed. I don't know at what pace I should be engaged in this thing. So I'm asking you, Lord, literally, order my steps. I don't know about you, but I think I'd rather have that going for me than me trying to figure it all out on my own, which we're all guilty of doing from time to time. But prayer is knocking. Prayer is knocking continually on heaven's door. It's knocking continually in pursuit of the Lord as our divine creator and our savior. In fact, when we pray and we knock on the door of the Lord, we are saying to the Lord, Lord, let me in to what you have for my life. Let me in to whatever you have planned for me in every season, in every situation. Lord, I'm knocking. I'm knocking and I'm not going to stop knocking until you answer this door. I'm not going to stop knocking until you open for me, Lord. I'm not going to stop knocking until you invite me in. I'm not going to stop knocking until I can get engaged with what you want for me and not what I want for me. If you want what God wants, friend, you have got to ask. You have got to seek. You have got to knock. But guess what? He's always home. <laughs> He's always home. He might be out back tilling the garden, but he can always hear you ask. He can always hear you seek, and he can always hear your knock. 
And he will always answer for you. Prayer keeps us actively engaged with God and with what he wants for our life. Don't confuse prayer with some mystical, mysterious, religious thing. Don't overcomplicate it. In fact, Jesus was good at teaching on that. He said, those weirdos over there, the religious ones, man, they think they got it going on because they can pray out loud and make people think they know what they're talking about. He said, really, they're just a bunch of hot-aired people. He said, but you, just be sincere. If I can just paraphrase it for a moment. You, just be sincere in your approach to me. That's all I'm after. That's all I'm after. That's all I want. And prayer keeps us actively engaged with God and what he wants for our life. Prayer is planting ourselves deeper and deeper in God. If you want righteousness to bloom in your life, tenderhearted mercies, humility, kindness, love, all of these expressions of Christ. If you want righteousness to bloom in you, because let me say it this way, your family is dependent upon it blooming in you. Your children are looking for you to bloom righteousness. Your marriage is waiting for righteousness to bloom. And if it's not blooming, friend, go to the seed of prayer and don't stop sowing prayer in your situation. Because ultimately one day, Righteousness will start to sprout. Righteousness will sprout, and prayer keeps us planted deeper and deeper in God. The third tool, I'll end with this tool, is the water of God's Word. So we have the plow of the prophetic, the seed of prayer, and the water of God's Word. You know, our lives must be exposed to the watering of God's word on a regular basis. And I would just admonish us in this. No one's perfect in it. But please don't rely only on Sunday to open God's word. Your faith will never grow strong that way. Your roots will, will never really go deep if you only rely on Sunday to come, when you come to church. Do Find a groove. Find a pattern. Find some traction that works with your life to where you can get yourself somehow in the Word of God on a regular basis. The Lord does not say anywhere in here, read five chapters every day to feel close to me. Religion over time has said, if you don't read this and that and do this and that and say it this way and pray it that way, then you ain't really following the Lord. <laughs> Find what works for you. God can work with that. Because you know what happens when you do that? It's sincere. It's not fabricated. It's not made up. It's not conjured. It's you being sincere and you cultivating your life for more of God. Here's the thing, though, about his word. You know, sometimes it's like a waterfall and it's refreshing. 
Other times his word hits hard like a fire hose, and it just blasts. Sometimes his word is like a stream, and it shows a good reflection. It's revealing. Paul tells us this in Ephesians 5, that we are actually washed clean, refreshed by God's word. Sure, his word convicts, but his word refreshes. His word cleans. And you know what? We are incapable of cleaning ourselves up first. I think that came in through a prophetic song through Thomas. I mean, all these different points today tying together. I love it when God does that. It's like he's got a plan or something. You know, we are incapable of being able to clean ourselves up righteously for the Lord. I mean, any, any fishermen here today? <clears throat> Few? You don't first clean a fish and then catch it, do you? You catch it, and then if you are a keeper, you clean it. Some are catch and releasers. But you don't release it or clean it before you catch it. You have to first catch it. Friend, you and I, we cannot clean ourselves up and then say, Lord, I'm ready to do what you want. God takes us just as we are, jacked up, messed up, whatever up we are. <laughs> and he says, now I can take you. Now I can do something with you. You know, here's the thing. God is, is so perfect and, and so amazing and so, so gifted at taking something that is crooked and making it straight. Taking something that's out of whack and putting it in place. Taking something that's broken and mending it and bringing healing. Our hearts, our souls, our lives are that way. But our lives that way in God's perfect hands puts it all back together again. Puts it all back together again. That's the way his word can work in our life. It can clean us. There are parts of God's word, friend, that just soothes the soul. But then there, there are other parts, though, that they blast like a water hose. And if we're honest, sometimes we can use a good smack in the face. Sometimes we can use a good blast. Because, come on, let's just face it. Sometimes we can get full of ourselves. Uh, I'm not going to tread on you today. But that can happen to us. And that's why we need the sharpness of his word to cut us. And in fact, that's what Hebrews 4.12 tells us. That the word of God is living and it's active. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword able to divide soul and spirit, joint and marrow. What's he saying? I think one of the things he's saying is that when God's word cuts us, we don't bleed to death. We don't bleed out. He cuts us like in such a meticulous way that actually he cuts away what we don't need, leaving what we do need, bringing the healing that our hearts long for, that our lives ultimately search for. His word is able to do just that. But in also his word is revealing. Look at what James, I'll put this one on the screen for us, James 1. 
says, hey, don't just listen to the word of truth and not respond to it, because that is the essence of self-deception. Always let his word become like poetry, written and fulfilled by your life. So if you listen to the word and you don't live out the message you hear, you become like the person who looks in the mirror of the word to discover the reflection of his face in the beginning. You perceive how God sees you in the mirror of the word, but then you go out and forget your divine origin. Those, though, who set their gaze deeply into the perfecting law of liberty are fascinated by and respond to the truth they hear and they are strengthened by it. They experience God's blessing in all that they do. His word is like a mirror revealing who we are in him. You know, here's the thing. God's word, the way he had it written and the way it is expressed, it was really not about hurting us making us feel bad in the sense of just living in that state of mind. It was really more or less about showing us this is who you really are. This is the image I've called you to bear. This is the wardrobe I've called you to own. This is who I've called you to act like. And those who set their gaze deep into his word says you find freedom. You find strength. And... God blesses in return. You have all this, Paul says. You put it all together, cultivating. Colossians 3.16 Let the message about Christ in all its richness. I love that. I love that, the message of Christ in all its richness, let it fill your lives. Let it fill your lives. He says, and then whatever you say or whatever you do, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. In other words, let this Christ, who he is, what he's about, fill your life completely to a way that overflows out of you and it shows Christ to the world. It's like you get that new outfit, get those new shoes, you get that new bling, you want people to see it. Or you might be a little casual in how you present it, and others you might just be forthright and be like, look at this. But what is it? You want people to notice. You want people to take note. The world takes note of pure righteousness. But we are incapable of producing it on our own. We must apply the tools of God's word. And I just gave you three of them today. Remember what God has said. Take heart to what he has said. Take heed to what he has said. You need to remember to sow yourself in prayer. It'll never be a wasted investment. And you need to always allow the word to water your soul. Because when that happens, righteousness grows. And when righteousness grows, catch this, your relationships blossom. Even in strained seasons, they will find a way 
to blossom because you won't be obstinate and rebellious and prideful because righteousness is prevailing in your life. Whatever season, in whatever situation, don't use it as an excuse for why you won't and why you can't grow in the Lord. Decide to bloom right where God has you. And he's given us the ability to do it if we'll just work it and cultivate it. Amen. And you stand to your feet. Pastor Lindsay's going to come and close us out in prayer. And I would just say, as she comes, is this. If you're here today and you feel like maybe you're alone and you don't know how to get some traction going in Christ, as a church, we want to help you do that. We, if you just need someone to pray with you about something, we'll be happy to... There's leaders here and people here will pray with you. And If you just need someone to maybe talk to and kind of get in get that next step established in your life to get one foot in front of the other we can help we want to help you do that so please take that to heart and let us know pastor lindsay